storm coming? Are we, is it going to mess up our weekend? And at least here in the Mid-Atlantic, it wasn't a big problem. Uh, uh, Joaquin, the tropical storm, we, we followed it. Of course, you followed it, I'm sure, on the TV. Uh, Hurricane Joaquin, it did some damage in, in, in certain, certain parts. So South Carolina, North Carolina got hit pretty hard. But uh, it strayed to the, uh, stayed in the ocean and to, to the um, east of us, and Maryland didn't get hit too bad. You know, these storms are powerful. They remind us, you know, they remind us of the power of the wind. You know, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit being like wind. He had a conversation with Nicodemus, a religious leader in John chapter 3. He said, like the wind, the Spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit is mighty like the wind. The Holy Spirit is invisible like the wind. The Holy Spirit changes things just like the wind can do. Powerful, mighty, changing. We're, we're in a, uh, uh, ending today the series on, on Galatians. We're looking at chapter 5, guarding the good news, guarding the gospel, guarding the good news. The Apostle Paul wants us to make sure that we know the gospel and that it is not distorted uh, against the opposition that is, that is in our world, that it's believed and it's followed. Not only um, does, he, does the gospel bring us salvation, the gospel is the basis for the transformation of our lives. As, as followers of Christ. Now, there are a few passages in the New Testament that talk about the Holy Spirit, the third person of, of the Trinity. Um, and this is one of them. We're going to talk about the Spirit of God today. Um, um, we don't hear much about him. And that's by design. You know, in the, in the upper room, Jesus said this in John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper, the one who comes alongside, the, that's talking about the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Advocate. When he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit that comes from the Father, will, will not talk about Himself, but will talk about Jesus. That's what Jesus promised, and that. And so the Spirit's ministry is not to talk about Himself, but to talk about Jesus and, and make Jesus real to us and and, and, big, and enlarge Jesus for us. And and so this passage today is one of the passages that talks about the ministry of the Spirit. In our lives, we're going to look at that. If, if you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. We're going to rise and listen to God's word. It's on the overhead here. The ESV translation is what we'll be reading. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. God's Word. You may be seated. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit is given so that we might have the ability to live the life that God wants us to live, to live the Christian life. The Spirit is given to us that we might do that. My title is Freedom in the Spirit. That's my title. Freedom in the Spirit. St. Augustine, the, 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 the early church African uh, uh, theologian, said, you have made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Very famous, the most famous quote by Augustine. Our hearts are restless. The heart, does that talk about the pump in our body? The heart is, the, is that spiritual, that immaterial, that unseen thing. It's our spirits, it's our soul, it's our heart. It's the inner person, the inner man the scriptures talk about. Um, this spiritual, see, we are body, physical, and we are spirit, immaterial. And you might recall the psalm, Psalm 103, where David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All this is going to be, bless his holy name. He's talking to his soul. There's a conversation that he has with his soul. There's a conversation that, that we all, I think, have in our heads, in our minds, in our hearts, with our spirit as we kind of wrestle with things and, and think through things. And, and, and there, there's this inner person. This heart, this spirit, and, 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 and the scriptures will tell us that, that, is, that is, that's the real you. That's the eternal you. That's the thing that when our bodies are gone, we will still have these spirits that will live forever. The inside, where you commune with God, if you commune with God. There's this, this, this hidden soundtrack, this hidden conversation that we have. The voices in our head, in our soul. Because we are we're, we're immaterial people with bodies. The good news, you see, is that Christ has justified us. He's declared us to be righteous. And, and Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since you have been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 5, five a couple of verses later says, Because of our justification, God's love has been poured into our hearts, there's that word heart again. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when we are justified, when we come to Jesus Christ by faith, God gives the Holy Spirit to us. That's what Romans is saying. An amazing thing. We are changed. We are transformed by, because he is now in us. In us. Whatever that means, he's in us. In this immaterial thing that we are. He invades our life, invades our heart. In Galatians now, Paul has been, he's already talked a couple times about the Spirit of God. Chapter 3, verse 1, he, he, he summarized saying, when, uh, salvation by saying, when you came to Christ, when you, instead of saying when you came to Christ, he says, when you received the Spirit, did you do it by faith? Remember that? Coming to Christ, you received the Spirit. Then in chapter 4, last week, Pastor Craig talked about, about this idea that when we, when we come to Christ, we become uh, uh, heirs, we become sons, heirs, and, and we have the Spirit that Christ, Abba, Father, this mystical union. We are in Christ, and he's in us. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. We're sons of God. We have the inheritance rights of, 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 of the children of God. And so here in chapter 5, as, the, as Paul continues, he begins to talk now about the practical implications of the fact that we're justified and the Spirit of God dwells within us. What does that mean for how we walk 
in this world. In chapter 4, 5 verses 1 to 12, he talks about the freedom, and then he gets, he's going to get sidetracked a little bit. He begins to talk about, again, the Jewish distortions that are out there during his day. This distortion, the tendency to promote bondage, uh, 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 to promote the law, which was bondage, wasn't freeing. He especially focuses in that passage on the, the right of circumcision. And then in chapter 13, he comes back to this idea that we were called to freedom. I want to look at three things in our text today. We're called to experience freedom, experience the freedom of God's grace. We're called to forsake the works of the flesh in light of God's grace. And we're called to bear the fruit of the Spirit in light of the grace of God. First, we're called to experience freedom, the freedom of grace. Verses 13 to 16. Again, verse 13, you're called to freedom is what Paul says. He comes back to his thesis theme here of freedom. Now, the New, again, the New Testament, it's very clear that, that we come to Christ, and then and we're free in Christ, and then God gives us some, some, some direction in how we're to live. You know, it was the same way in the Old Testament. It's the same way in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. In Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, okay? But before he gives the Ten Commandments, you know what, he does? You know what it says? God says to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before he gives law, he says, he gives gospel. He says, I am God who has brought you out from bondage. Redemption always precedes law, always in Scripture. God doesn't tell you you got to do this, do this, do this. He redeems his people. And the law is for those who, are, who have been redeemed, even in the Old Testament. Jesus said in John chapter 8, the verse we, we, we heard in the Scripture reading, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He's talking to the Jewish uh, authorities there in that passage who think that they're children of Abraham because they're children because they're, they have that nature of, of being the Jewish race. But he says, no, there's a different kind of freedom you don't understand. You don't understand. Charles Wesley, the, 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 the hymn writer, understood this years ago in a great song. He says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And can it be a song that has lasted over the centuries? Charles Wesley understood this thing, that we were in bondage, and God has brought us freedom. He's brought freedom to our lives. My chains were gone, and now I'm free. The Savior has died for me, as we sang earlier. So Paul has been talking about the new position that we have in Jesus Christ, the new identity that we have in Christ. We are justified children of God. We're free. We're in the Spirit. And, and as such, we're to walk in love. We're free to reach out to others and to love others. We are we're no longer bound by thoughts of self all the time that keep us from, do, from freely loving others and caring for others. We don't have to think about how will they treat me if I take steps, of, if I risk faith. How, how will they look at me? How will they perceive me? Maybe I will be rejected. Those thoughts, the problem with those thoughts is they're all about me. <laughs> the, the Spirit gives us freedom to not think about me, but to think about others. Do not think of the fact that they may think I'm inferior. You know what? You might be, but that's okay. That's okay. Because God sees you not as inferior. God sees you as Jesus. He sees you in Christ. 
You have the record of Christ. You have the righteousness of Christ. And that's all right. That's a good record to have. That's the perfect record to have. God loves you as you are. He doesn't love you less because you might feel or be inferior. That's okay. You're going to heaven because of Jesus. That's all right. That, that should change the way we relate with people. It should change your attitude as we go through life. Do you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not just a pastor. I'm a father. And most of those of us who are, who are parents, we, we care about our children. We want our children to walk with God. We want them to have a passion for God. We want them to believe the word of God and, 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 and know God and, and believe rightly about the word of God. And, 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 and unfortunately, you know, sometimes as your kids get older, they think for themselves, they have different influences, and they stray. They, they stray away from the word of God. And it breaks your heart as parents. It breaks your heart. I, I've experienced some of that, that heartbreak of some of my kids. A couple of them are here today, so I don't want to talk too much about y'all. But they're here today. But, but it breaks a parent's heart to see, to see your kids when they, you know, you believe that? You, you know, as those things happen. And you know, it, not only does it break your heart, you can begin to really feel bad about yourself. That, Lord, what did I do wrong? What, what did we do wrong? Should we have done this? Should we have done that? And you know what? That will destroy your heart <laughs> if you continue going down that road. And you need to know that your performance as a parent is not what gives you God's favor. <laughs> it is the grace of God. It is Jesus Christ that I am belo- I'm as beloved now by God no matter if all my, p- my kids fall away from faith or stray. That's okay. I am in Christ. Fortunately, that's not true. All of them haven't fallen away from faith. But, but the point is that our record is not by performance. And when we begin to get that in our lives, it changes the way we address uh, uh, the joy of our life. We can continue to move on though we're in process and though those who we care about are still in process. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, Second Corinthians says, there is freedom. There's freedom. You're not bound up. You're not in bondage. What is freedom though? What is freedom? See, the popular notion is that freedom is you can do whatever you want to do, that, whenever you want to do it. That, that is not biblical freedom. No. Because if that's freedom... The only free person around is God. <laughs> only God can do what he wants when he wants to do it. Every single one of us, other than God, is dependent and limited. You ever think about that? So, so what is this thing? What, what is freedom? Here's my definition of freedom. Free, freedom is getting in line with the creator and with his ways so that in his world, we can experience the peace and the joy that he wants for us. That's what freedom is. It's getting in line with the way God has said we ought to be and things ought to be. And then we can, we can flow. Then we can experience the joy and peace that he wants for us and that we want for ourselves. The opposite is to, to reject God, to ignore God, to fight God, to fight his ways. And, and that's the way of bondage. That's the way of, of imprisonment. Jesus is the liberator. He came to, to, to rescue us from bondage. Bondage of the world, bondage of the flesh, bondage of the devil. With freedom, you see, comes obligations and responsibilities. America, our nation, is the land of the free and home of the brave. You've heard that phrase before, of course. Many people from all over the world come to these shores searching for freedom, searching for opportunity. Unfortunately, when they get here, they see a nation of many people who seem to be experiencing something less than joy and blessing that freedom offers. 
This week we experienced a couple things that we saw the, the, some of the tough things going on in our country. One was, in, was Thursday in Oregon. There was a shooting. Again, a, a, a young man desiring to just do his thing, decided life wasn't worth it. He wanted to leave this world, but he wanted to take some people out with him. Again, a tragic event at a community college there in, in Oregon. And then the second event was, was Friday. My son Daniel, he works over in Hilltop. He calls us. I'm, in, I'm on my off day just chilling, and he calls Dad, they're shooting. there's a shooting over here. I'm going my way home. They let us go. Um, and you, I'm sure you saw it in the news. One person died. Four were, were, were injured, passers-by. And again, here in our streets, the tragedy of our streets, people who are just doing their own thing, people who are following their own heart, people who are living according to, to the way of this world, according to the, the passions that they have, not coming into the Creator's ways, thinking that they're free, but they're in bondage. It's bondage to not follow the ways of the Creator. Freedom has responsibilities. See, a free nation that ignores responsibilities is a society with a lot of pain and a lot of chaos. And the same is true of an individual believer. No responsibility, a lot of chaos, and a lot of pain. Paul says in regards to this gospel freedom, in verses 13 to 14, that we are not given this freedom to serve ourselves. Look at what he says. He says, the whole God, you, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You serve God through serving one another, okay? Again, the contrast of serving self, serving God. It, it tells us that, that, that we're to do that, and, and when we do that, it says we actually fulfill the law. The whole law is fulfilled when we do that. Isn't that amazing? See, the law had specific prohibitions. Don't do that. Don't do that. Make sure you don't do that. But there's a real connection between this and God's law. So, some people think that, that following God is all about the prohibitions, all about the things you're not supposed to do. I mean, some people, that's their mindset about God is a God who says, don't do that, don't do that. For goodness sake, please don't do that. That's their notion of who God is. That's not who God is. But it's kind of the, Juda the Judaizing mindset. The Judaizers, these people that Paul's addressing here in Galatians, the Church of Galatia. And they, they, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who still have the mindset of the Judaizers. That it's all about what you, just making sure you, you don't do that and don't do that and don't do that or that. Their, their, their mantra is, just tell me what I'm not supposed to do so I can make sure I don't do it because I want to go to heaven. That's, their, that's the way they look at things. That's their, that's their worldview. And the problem, you see, is that Jesus, in the, even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus trips that up. He says, no, 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 no. He said, he said that, that to not murder your neighbor isn't even enough. You got to love your neighbor. <laughs> you know, so it's not just what you don't do. There's positive things that you need to do. So, so, so righteousness, holiness is totally different than the, than the Judaizing mindset. What, that's what Paul wants us to understand. Judaizing Christians want to make sure that they know what all the rules are. And, you know, they want to make sure that you and I know what all the rules are, too. And they're, always, they're not a lot of fun to be around. People who are just always into make sure you have all the rules right so that we can follow them so that it all will be in order. It's called the, the Judaizing mindset. And Paul's attacking that. Let me just ask a simple question. Is that your mindset? Is your understanding of the, of the Christian faith, there's, there's rules, to make sure I keep these rules. If I keep these rules, then I'll be okay. That, that's, not, that, that's not the gospel. That's, and Paul's trying to attack that mindset that it's not about just keeping rules. He's, he's saying, you didn't come to Christ because you kept rules. 
He says, and you're not going to be mature in Christ by just keeping rules. It's not that simple, he's saying. In fact, it's even more simple. He's going to come to how simple it is. Example, look, teaching, if you had the experience of teaching your children how to drive, one of the interesting things that you find is that it's very easy as a parent, particularly if, if, if they're in your car and your car is a nice car, you want to make sure they don't go on the curb, you want to make sure they don't bang on anything. And so you start out by saying, look, don't do this, don't do that. Make sure you, make sure, you want to build, the, you want to make sure there's things they don't do. And I guess that's pretty wise. You want to make sure that they don't confuse the brakes for the accelerator. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> when they hit the brakes, you don't want the car to go forward. You want to stop. There's, there are some don'ts, but the, but the key to, to really, really helping someone learn how to drive is to keep it positive. This is what you do. This is how you do it. Uh, be, be positive, and when they make a mistake, if it's an important mistake, you, you show them. If not, you, you just let, you let them, you talk about it later. You, want to, you, want to, you don't want to discourage. And, and that, again, car is, learning how to drive is just one example of many examples we could use. But when we're trying to, to, to learn a skill, a technique, and you're training someone in how to do a technique, it's important to keep it positive and not be negative. And you know, God is training us. God is training us in how to live for him, how to live in this world. And, and God is saying, it's not about make sure you don't do that, and make sure you don't do that. God is being positive, and God is saying, this is, this is what I need you to do. And, and, he, and God keeps it simple. And that's what I like about, about this passage, about what Paul is trying to get us to understand. That it's not that complicated. We call this discipleship by grace. Being grace-filled disciples, not disciples who are following a bunch of rules and laws, but who are filled with the grace of God. We believe that the key to being a grace-filled disciple is to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Hebrews chapter 12. Follow him. Don't fix your eyes on, on other things, on rules and regulations and laws. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The principle is simply this. The more, the more and more you focus on something, the more you become like that thing. The more you focus on someone, the more you become like that person. It's just an, it's an amazing principle of life. I learned it in, in an interesting way um, years ago. My, one, my brother, one of my brothers-in-law gave me um, an album by a, a musician I'd never heard. His name was Earl Clue. He's a, he's a guitarist, a jazz guitarist who played an acoustic guitar. He says, you might like this. Boy, was he right. I love Earl Clue. He's a great guitarist. And, and, here's, and over the years, I've listened to Earl and listened to him. And you know what's happened? My playing has become a little bit more like his. Not as good. But style-wise, I'm becoming more like him. Why? Because I've spent so much time focusing on him. And, 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 and that's the key to the Christian life. You become what you focus upon. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, Paul, now it's going to transition he, he wants us to understand discipleship is not rules and regulations. It's, it's, it's following the Spirit. He's going to come to that. Before he comes to this thing of following the Spirit, he, he takes a little aside here. He wants us to talk about the, the, the second calling, which is to forsake the works of flesh. He said, just in case you don't understand, you need to forsake the work of flesh. He said, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. So verses 16 to 21. Flesh is the, the sinful, selfish nature that we all have. And it's life that seeks to satisfy self rather than God. 
And see, there's a battle that's going on. And we're all born with a battle in our hearts and our minds because, you know, by, by being, being brought up by families that, who give us some, some rules and some guidelines about life and socialization and all, we learn some things that we ought to be doing or should not be doing. And, and so when we, we have in our minds this kind of a conscience that tells us, oh, you shouldn't have done that or, oh, that was okay. Uh, we have that. But here, here's what happens. When, when you're justified, when the Spirit come, is poured into our hearts, and we, it, it is no longer just me and my, and my conscience. It's the Spirit of God in there. There's another voice in that conversation. And you know what that Spirit is? He's called the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit wants to make us holy. Okay? And, 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 and so this inner you, it's no longer just a skirmish. It can feel like World War III sometimes <laughs> when you're battling. Oh, Lord, I, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but, I, you know, I, Lord, help me. As you walk with God, as you walk through life, as you're tempted. The, the believer has a tougher battle than the unbeliever, if this is true. And it is true. It's my experience. That, that, it, that, 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 that the battle is intensified because now Christ is there. And so Paul urges in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. And you won't gratify the, the desires of the flesh. Walk, walk in the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead you. You're not, you're, not, you're not under the law. Live like you're not under the law. Live in Christ. So in verses 19 and 20, he, he basically is giving a warning about, you know, if this battle is important because if you, if you lose this, if you really, really lose this battle and give up on this battle, it says something about you. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. He, he's, really, he's really looking at a similar thing he does in Romans chapter 6. So he says, are we to sin because we're no longer under the law but under grace? That's the idea. Because we're free in Christ, totally free, we're saved by what he's done, not by what we do. Are we free to do anything we want to do? And Paul, again, here in Galatians, as in Romans, is saying, no, that's not what I'm saying. He's consistent. Live in the Spirit. You don't have to worry about the flesh dominating your life. When you live in the Spirit, some things are going to happen in your life. He knows that. Brian Chappell um, uh, in a book called Holiness by Grace. Very good book. He says, uh, it is not enough for advocates of grace simply to react against legalism. It's just, you know, do this, do this, do this. We must also respond to the license that tempts Christians when they hear preachers say, God will love you no matter what. Legalism makes believers think that God accepts them on the basis of what they do, but licentiousness makes believers think that God does not care what things they do. Both errors have terrible spiritual consequences. Chapel's exactly right there. And so Paul gives this list, this vice list, and I'm not going to look at the whole the particular list. There's, there's 15 words he gives there, descriptive words, in verses 19 to 21. This is one of eight New Testament vice lists, um, one by, um, in, in the Gospel of Mark, one in Revelation. All the other six are from Paul, Paul's vice list. Um, but let me say a little bit about the list, just a little bit. Um, there's clearly four categories in this list. Um, verses 19, verse 19 uh, is about sexual immorality. There's three words about sexual immorality in this list. And then in verse 20, false religion. There are two words he gives about false religion. Okay, sorcery or idolatry. Then verse 20, there's seven words about personal relationships that we have. Look at the text, interesting. And then the last couple are about Alcohol abuse, abuse, substance abuse, verse 21. 
Now, when we think about the vice lists of Paul and the things he says, don't do this, you know, the things that, that he, that, 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 we think, oh, we know what those things are. Seven of the 15 are about how we treat people. Think about that. Think about the seven of the, they're not about the, the nasty nine or the dirty dozen. It's about relationships. That's what it's about. Uh, look, the, these things he lists are characteristics of redeemed people, of, of unredeemed people, excuse me. But they're also warnings for the redeemed people, those who profess faith in Christ. It's, it's a call to repent if your life is characterized by some of the, the activities in, 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 a, in a dominant way in your life. That's what Paul's trying to drive at here. The, the list is not a complete list. It's a suggestive list. That's why the lists are different if you, look, if you compare the list. So he, again, he says this, 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 he says, and then he ends, and the things like this. It's not a full list. It's a suggestive list. But there are all these interesting four categories that you can see in this list, and it touches on other lists as well. Paul's very clear here that the heart that's not been touched by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, may not be regenerate, and we need to check ourselves if that's us. The last thing in chapter is verses 22-26, the fruit of the Spirit. And we're called to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit. Notice, works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. The fruit. See, our position is that we're dead to the things of the flesh and alive to Christ and things of the Spirit. But our experience, the challenge, is to live as people who are dead to the flesh and, and to live to Christ, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to bear fruit of the Spirit through His indwelling presence in our hearts. <clears throat> What's the source of this fruit? Well, it's the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, bear fruit of the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit's all over this passage. By the way, if you're a Presbyterian, and I'm a Presbyterian, as, as most of you know, um, we, we tend to talk a lot about the Spirit of God bringing us to salvation. You've heard that, I'm sure, a couple times in our church if you've been here long enough. But we don't talk enough about the work of the Spirit after we get saved. That's why I love this passage. It, it speaks to us. What does it mean to be in the Spirit, to, to, to be filled with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit? What is that? What's all that about? This passage, I love this this aspect, and we need to, to understand that, or we will or be, uh, have distorted views about what the Spirit does in our daily experience. The fruit of the Spirit. Here in Penn Lucy, there's a mural back behind um, Blessed Sacrament Church. It looks like that, and if you can read that, that it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's a beautiful mural. It's a real tall, tall building. It's a, it's a pretty dingy, air, dun, dun, dungy area over there. You can go over there, walk around and behind the, the, the alley there, and see that uh, beautiful work of art. That's depicting the fruit of the Spirit. One thing you might notice is in the purple there, there's, there's a cluster of grapes that's depicted. And many commentators have noted that the word fruit is not fruits of the Spirit. It's not like there's nine fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. All these nine things are like a cluster of grapes. This is fruit. It's, it's Jesus in you, living his life through you, his love coming through you in various ways uh, as we interact with the world and, and with the body of Christ. <clears throat> How? What? There's effort that's needed to produce fruit. Talk about that for a second. Many have been in circles probably where you heard that the key to is, is let go and let God. To be kind of passive, to, to just let the, to be passive and let the Spirit just do His thing through you when you do nothing. It's to just surrender and wait, and God will, will work through you. You know, the Bible, the New Testament is not calling us to passivity, but to activity. It's a different. It's a spirit-empowered activity, though. The farmer doesn't just pray for fruit. He 
plants, he waters, he tills the soil, he waits for God to then do his thing. And it's the same way when it comes to uh, what it means to, to grow into maturity in our faith. Kevin DeYoung, in a great book called A Hole in Our Holiness, he says this, Yes, the Spirit empowers our pursuit of holiness. Yes, the gospel drives us toward Christ-likeness. Yes, faith fuels our obedience, but we still put forth effort. We must be told to obey and then do it. God is the one making us holy, but we pursue that as God's gift to us. He says, as John Piper puts it, when it comes to killing my sin, I don't wait passively for the miracle of sin killing to be worked out in me. I act that miracle. Piper and DeYoung are correct. There's a stewardship we have of what God has called us to do and to be. And walking in this spirit is just walking carefully in humility and in brokenness and in faith and in dependence and then stepping out in obedience as we understand the word of God calls us to do the things he calls us to do. It's realizing that, yes, certainly without Jesus, we can do nothing. But with Jesus, we can do many things. We as a church tend to attract people that we would call activists. Some churches attract, attract pietists. We tend to, for some reason, don't ask me why, we attract pietists, I mean activists. Maybe that says something about me and Craig. I don't know what it means. But, we, but people who, who are active, we want to get things done for God. And that's great. But we need to understand that with our, all of our activism that Philippians says, work out your salvation because it's God who works within you to will and do his good pleasure. It's God working through you, which means we have to be dependent and not thinking that we've got it all. Not, we don't go as Messiah with all the answers. No, we go with humility and grace to help a broken world. But we need to, and it, it means take time way to, uh, apart from, to, to just reflect and meditate and be with God. And that's very difficult to do in our modern society with the, what I call the distraction of technology. Isn't it hard to just be still and know that he's God? With all the distractions, you sit down and you say, oh, I got a, I got a, I got a text. Got to check that text out. Oh, you want to sit down and pray? Oh, that's my phone ringing. It, it is so hard to just get away and be still and know that he is God. Walking in the Spirit is what we're called to do. Quickly, five things about walking in the Spirit. Prayer, humble, dependent calling on God. Scripture, read it, study it, memorize it, get it in your life, get it in your heart. Make disciples. Make the Spirit-filled people make disciples. The Great Commission is not just about you and God, it's about you bringing others to know Jesus. Spirit-filled people are involved in a fellowship, being encouraged and challenged in your walk and challenging others in their walk. And then the last one is worship. Be, being among God's people on a weekly basis that, that you might experience all these things, the prayer, scripture, disciple-making, and fellowship in the context of the body of Christ in, as a whole. In fact, these five things aren't just things that are individual things. These are corporate things we do as a body. More and more and more and more. And worship is, of course, a special place where we experience the sacraments, which we do in, in just a minute or two. I want to leave you with something that happened to us uh, the other night. Uh, Tuesday night, I came home from lamp class, which I was teaching, and uh, I was tired. It was like 11 o'clock. Let me get something to eat. Let me just watch the news. So I sat down and watched the news, and in about six minutes, the lights went out. First, I heard a big bang. It was a transformer in the backyard, and the lights went out. I said, oh, no, i got to eat this in the dark. That's my first thought. i, I, I got to eat in the dark. Then I can find a flashlight. But then, about 30 seconds later, I heard a voice from upstairs, Terry in her pajamas. There's a fire in the backyard. 
I said, I guess I'm not going to eat this in the dark. So we all scared. We all evacuated the house, and the neighbors evacuated and all that kind of stuff. The transformer, it, it went over to the neighbor's yard. There's a picture. Did you see the picture yet? Picture of, uh, that's the neighbor's yard, a big blazing fire. And then the next picture is from my, is from my backyard. That's, that was what I saw from my back uh, window. That's pretty close. It's pretty blight. Now, now, here's the thing. It was amazing. It was raining hard, dark, because the lights in the whole street were out. There was this blazing fire, an incredible fire. It was really scary. But after, but after thinking about it, I said, you know what? That's a picture of what God wants his people to be like. In the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the decay of a broken world, God wants his people to shine brightly, to shine some light on the situation. It was a transformer. God wants to, the Spirit wants to transform us that we can be bright lights for Jesus Christ. And it, the, the whole experience brought me back to a song. I'll leave you the lyrics of this song before we experience the Lord's table. Gary Chapman wrote a song, a song by Jamie Owens Collins. It's not enough to know it. I've got to somehow show it. Or love is just a candle in a tomb whose fainting light will soon be gone without your breath to urge it on to be a ray of hope in a place of gloom. So shine through me. Shine through me. Lord, make my life a stream of life for everyone to see. A flowing, reaching, loving light is what I need to be. So take control. Ignite my soul and shine through me. So Paul's talking about. It's not us. We don't have a light. This little light of mine, we got to let it shine to, to, to help a, a, a decaying, dying world know that in Christ, indeed Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. And so we come to the table every month to remind ourselves it's not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me have the officers come forward as we continue with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he... he took the bread and broke it and gave thanks that this is my body, which is for you. Do this remembrance of me. <clears throat> then he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant shed for the remission of sins. Drink it, remembrance of me. Whenever you eat the bread, drink the cup, you proclaim my death till I come again. This is my, not my table. This is, our, this is the Lord's table. We're invited as Christians throughout the centuries have come with simplicity to celebrate what Christ did on the cross for us, reminding us that it's not about us. It's about him who died for us. We, we, we're told to examine ourselves. Make sure we, that, that our hearts are right, that, that we're walking in repentance, walking in, in fellowship with him, in fellowship with the body of Christ, that, that, that our hearts are right, not hardened towards sin. So we give you a moment to just talk to God for a second to prepare for this celebration. Do that.